Hi everyone, my name is Gautam Meyer. Welcome to another episode of AndBeyond.how. On this episode, I have a conversation with Lori Semleys, a close family friend and attorney who specializes in medical malpractice. It's a really interesting profession and one that seems increasingly difficult to succeed in, given the continuously evolving field of law and the specificity of the practice. I was slightly taken aback by the obvious fact that law is not really a profession. The law is enormous, and I learned that specialization to a high degree is necessary. Our conversation was pretty eye-opening, and I found it to be really fun to have. But you'll have to ignore the little bumps and noises in the background. Sorry about that. Other than that, enjoy. What, what specifically do you do? So I defend healthcare providers in civil, in civil lawsuits. Hospitals, doctors, nursing homes, and other ancillary healthcare providers, physicians, assistants, nurses, nurse practitioners. So that's the essence of the law that I practice. But a big part of what I've been doing the last few years has been generating business and, and marketing. And so I can get more of that work that I do. Okay, so within your company, you you marketing as well as the actual yeah. work? Yeah. Okay, so is it... You're defending people in healthcare from people accusing them of malpractice. Correct. Okay. So what does that entail? What well, do you- so so there's two different ways that I can get a case, but the primary way is a most healthcare provides cases. So you can be assigned randomly because you're on the panel, and getting on a panel is, is not easy. Um, or you can market to the healthcare provider directly, the hospital or the doctor. So when they get sued, they can ask for you to be their lawyer. Okay, so the company is going out of their way to find you, or you're randomly assigned to defend them. I wouldn't say going out of their way. So, like, depending on the kind of firm and how large the firm is that you work for, you um, your firm may already have a relationship with that insurance company, and then you just get randomly assigned cases as they come in. Um, and the relationship could be because it's existing for years because they know your firm based on its reputation and then your area of specialty. Um, or you can market that insurance company so you can just get assigned cases. And that's, you know, insurance companies fold and emerge all the time, like hospitals, especially over the last decade. You have different strategies for marketing. And that's sort of, you know, what I've been figuring out over the last couple of years, not just doing the legal work, but taking my expertise and then using that to market to get business. Okay, so right now, are you focusing more on marketing or legal work itself? Well, that's the balance, and that's hence my stress level right now. So I've had some success in marketing, so I've gotten a lot of business over the last couple of years, but I have to work on the cases and service the clients. So um, I used to just be me, and then I hired one other lawyer, a younger lawyer, to work with me, and then I've had to hire another one. And then this other lawyer went out on maternity leave, and so now I've hired two more, so now I'm a paralegal. And so now I have a team of five lawyers working to service my client's business, all my client's business. So you need more help because I can't do it all because I'm either marketing or I'm busy with one client on one day, so I can't service the other client the next day. So it's, it's a struggle, and it requires I work harder now than I ever have in my life. But I hope to get to the point where my people are sufficiently trained to do the legal work so in a year or two, I can manage the business more so and really just market. So while you're marketing, while you're actually doing legal work, you're essentially training the people you've hired to do the work that you're doing now so that in the future, you can yeah. focus on one thing. Yeah, and I like to call it more mentoring. 
you know, so the mentoring starts with someone as a first year lawyer and continues all the way through even as their first year partner. And that could be a 10 year process. It's, it's, you know, doing higher level, more sophisticated work, um, legal work, as well as managing the client's relationship. So is this reflective of most lawyers in general? Like, is there a balance between marketing and, and legal work or do some solely do legal work, some only focus on marketing? Um, a, I don't know, but B, I would say that it depends on what, how many years you've been practicing. Junior people, um, and junior, I mean, like in the first 10 years, you're not thinking about developing business. Um, you get hired by a firm, um, whether it's, uh, in my world, civil litigation, plaintiff side, defense side, or a white shoe firm, and you're just assigned to do things by other people. But as you advance and move up and being considered for partner and make partner, that's when you, you have an obligation to think about developing business and generating revenue. So marketing generally comes later. Oh, yeah. Okay. You don't have any skills. You go to law school to become a lawyer. And then once you've developed those skills, then you can market those skills to develop business. So straight out of law school, you're only doing legal work within the firm. Mm-hmm. Um, at a time when I made partner 14 years ago, there was no emphasis on people like me at that time to generate any business. It was a little easier. The insurance industry was different. Healthcare industry was different. But now it's a lot harder. So people who are making partner now um, have have a tougher time getting a go at it because there's not as much business to get out there. Insurance companies, you know, like you hear doctors, for example, they don't get paid per dollar what they bill the insurance company. They all talk about, I have to work twice as hard to get make the same amount of money because the insurance company's reimbursement rates are low. It's the same thing in, in, in the law industry, the service industry. They're just not paying. If I bill out, you know, say $1,000 for work that I performed on a file, I'm generally not going to get that dollar that dollar for dollar back. Okay, so... that's a, I mean, that's managing a business. So as you get more senior, you have to think in those terms. But that's that's just any kind of business. It doesn't... That's the nature of that particular business. But being, you know, you don't get there unless you've been a good, successful lawyer. So I'm sort of jumping ahead to where I'm at now. But my first 10, 15 years of practice... That's, you know, all I did was practice law. Okay, so in terms of coming out of law school, do you go and join a firm? Do you establish your own firm? How does, or generally, what is the structure of a firm and how, what do the okay. or junior people start out with? So it depends, you know, like I said before, there's, the law is so incredibly diverse. I'm only one fraction of, what you know, lawyers out there in civil litigation, personal injury defense. There's corporate lawyers, there's criminal lawyers, there's transactional lawyers, um, you know, there's um, trust and estate lawyers, there's matrimonial, you know, divorce lawyers. So we all do different things. So when people are in their third year of law school, usually it's actually the, the summer before your third year of law school, that you all try to get this great job, um, which would set your course for when you graduate. So... People, ideally, if they want the money, they go for a big law firm, you know, in this area in Manhattan, that's going to pay you a crazy amount of money when you graduate and then you give them your soul and you work day and night and you have no life. Um, Those big corporate white shoe kind of firms. And then there are people who really just want to litigate, which is what I always wanted to do. So my choices as someone who wants to be a litigator included criminal 
and civil practice, civil litigation, personal injury defense. Criminal is the most appealing to me, um, but pays the less, the least. You know, you get hired at a DA's office coming out of law school when I was coming out of law school in 1994, you would offer $35,000, $40,000 a year. And that's not, that's a fraction of what you owe in loans. So, but it was a stepping, a stepping stone to becoming a trial lawyer and you can then have your pick after you've served your time. So my situation was a little unique because I turned, I got an offer an opportunity to do that, but then I turned it down because I got an offer a job at a big New York City law firm doing medical malpractice defense where I had worked for a summer. And I thought that was really interesting because of medicine. Um, so I turned it down, the criminal job for the medical malpractice defense firm in the city, the biggest of its kind at the time, um, because the money was more. And then the night of my bar exam, the firm broke up and didn't exist anymore. So um, I didn't have a job. I was suddenly, you know, I was at the top of my class and I had no job. And the criminal job was not available because they filled it. And I took um, any job I can get at the time. And, but with my background, the little bit of background I had in medical malpractice, I got into a small firm and then I ended up at my firm, which is um, part of the people I worked with at that other firm are there, my firm now. So in that, we are the largest insurance defense firm in the world, my firm. We have you know offices all over the world, you know, mostly in, in the United States, 26 offices in the United States. Not all medical malpractice. We are insurance defense. We defend people who have a liability policy, whether it's a car accident, a homeowner's, a property policy, or a medical professional architect, like what I was saying before, um, lawyers. Um, and you specialize. And you decide if you like it. And if you have an opportunity to, to get hired by a firm like that, or a lot of my classmates who didn't do so well got hired by plaintiff's firms. And those are, you know, when you, when you have images from movies about um, people chasing ambulances or sharks out there who are desperate for cases, um, like if you watch Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, did you watch that? I, I haven't seen it, but I mean, I know the phenomenal. So break, so better call Saul. Like he was just anybody would slip and fall on a supermarket, and you throw him your card. You know, like sue me. I mean, you know, sue them and call me. So those are the kind of jobs that a lot of people from, you know, like the bottom half of my class took. They were plentiful, and you don't get paid as much, but you get a percentage of whatever you recover. So a lot of people end up in those jobs. But we need those people because then if they don't sue, then we they don't have anybody to defend. So um, I ended up at my firm, and it's 21 plus years, and um, I just find uh, in this environment, um, I like a big firm. I like being surrounded by a lot of different people, but I like being specialized in medical malpractice. I feel it's a, it's a, it's a little more sophisticated than defending people who have slip and falls in a supermarket or um, you know motor vehicle accidents, that kind of thing, because the medicine, I'm constantly learning. It's, it's cool. It's cool. That's, that's what I say. It's very cool. So I, let me tell you about my case today. Um, today I had, um, and when you're ready to go to trial, the courts want you to try to settle the case because they don't have the resources to devote to a trial. Um, so they force you to go to mediation, which is pre-trial settlement conferences. So sometimes you do it privately where you pay someone to be a mediator and they have both people on the sides of the table and they, everyone presents their case, and then they tell you 
you know, they give you advice and try to guide you together to resolve the case to a number where everybody could be happy. So this young man, he um, was an aspiring police officer, FBI agent. He took all the police exams, was hoping to get accepted. But to make money, he was working. He had he and his family owned a couple of farms, and he had a lot of experience with, with horses. And um, he worked at a farm for, like, um, I don't want to say developmentally disabled, but to kids who had challenges in their lives and helped teach them horse training and caring for horses as, like, therapy. Mm-hmm. So great guy, you know, did a great thing, had nothing wrong with this kid. So um, one night he went home. It was in the summer, and he was fixing, the bo- like, a wire at the family farm, and the, he was cutting a spool of wire. He was fixing the fence, and the spool of wire, he cut it, and it accidentally spun and got him right in the eye, went right through his eye. Um, he goes to the emergency room at, at the hospital. It was my client, and he's seen by a physician's assistant who was somebody else's client. She had her own insurance. And um, the claim is that she didn't properly evaluate his injury. She didn't properly treat it. She didn't properly refer him. He ended up losing vision in his eye. And the other eye, um, there's a, a rare medical condition called sympathetic ophthalmia, where because he lost vision in the right eye, the left eye had this autoimmune response to it and would, the vision would be strained. So he has to take these autoimmune, these like um, medications to suppress his immune system to keep the vision in his one good eye. So this is this guy's life now. It's terrible. So he's completely blind in the right eye. And we say she did everything right. We say whatever he lost in his eye was because a wire went through the middle of it um, and nobody could. And he did. He didn't follow all her instructions. He went home and rubbed his eye and stuff like that naturally, which people do, but that caused it more damage. So today um, he was there with his lawyer. I was there with my client and the PA was there with her client and the mediator sat with us and then separated us into three different rooms. And we spent hours talking to try to get to a number that people can live with to resolve the case. And we did. Actually, today was day two. We had to we tried to mediate it over the summer, and it failed, so we came back and we did it today. It's cool stuff. I think it's cool stuff. The medicine is really cool. There are a lot of questions now. Okay, shoot. Um, in cases like this, do you get like emotionally involved sometimes? Rarely. This case... Um, I really like, I met this guy, I took his deposition, it was a pre-trial question session, and I really liked him and I felt bad for him he, because he was unlike a lot of the plaintiffs in my cases who are in under, you know, privileged communities in the boroughs. I have a lot of cases in the Bronx, people sitting in the Bronx who don't have jobs, who aren't highly educated, <clears throat> and um, especially my nursing home cases, people who don't take care of their health for their entire life and end up being de- like at 60 years old, having diabetes and peripheral heart disease, they eat like crap. They eat really bad foods and they smoke or, uh, and, or worse. And then they get sick and they blame the doctor. I don't have patience for those people. And then I don't have patience for their families when they ignored them their whole lives until they got into a nursing home and then suddenly they're suing because someone didn't take good care of my mama. That I don't have patience for. This guy I felt bad for, but it didn't change the way I would alter the case. I got two cases assigned to me. I was an associate then. One was um, a baby who had born the day after, who died the day after it was born. And one was a girl who was just like her, who lived in our community, um, who ended up with a urinary tract infection. And it became so bad, she ended up almost dying and had brain damage. 
those cases I had a very hard time with as a mother. But otherwise, you kind of get desensitized. So it's not common. Do you think it's good or bad to be desensitized to this kind of struggle? Um, I don't think it's bad. I think you have to focus on your job and do your job. It's one thing if I was um, a criminal defense attorney and I, as a mother and I was asked to defend um, you know, a sexual predator, I'd have a harder time doing that. But what I'm doing for the most part is just about people's money. There's very little justice and um, you know, no one's going to jail. So I, I can sleep at night, no problem. There's very few cases where it's very obvious a doctor committed malpractice. So that's the case that you just described. That's not a typical case. Oh, it's a very typical case. So a lot of times it's a really gray area between what the doctor actually did wrong exactly. and what the, what the client did wrong. Mm-hmm. So what all of my cases come down to a battle of the experts. Does the plaintiff have an expert, a medical expert, who can get on the stand at trial and testify, and they're all paid, and get on and testify and convince a jury that what he or she says is what should have been done here and wasn't? And then I'm always going to have an expert who's able to come to court and say the exact opposite. So it's a battle of the experts. And sometimes your plaintiff may be a really good witness, like in this I case, he's, you know, any doubt is probably going to go in his favor because he's a good guy. This bad thing happened, you know, or, or if you look at my client, who's, you know, the top of, you know, the chief of the department and you have a piece of crap on the other side as a plaintiff who is, has got, you know, 14 other lawsuits and, and not really a good member of society, those things influence the jurors. So they are, ju- it's all about being judgmental. So when you pick a jury, you're, hope, you're trying to pick people who are going to, you know, more empathize with your client than with the plaintiff. How long does a typical case take? From like when the lawsuit mm-hmm. is initiated? Mm-hmm. It depends on what county you're in in New York State. In the Bronx, it could take five to seven years. In New York, two, three. In a different direction. Um, coming out of law school, were you specifically trained for medical malpractice or was it just law in general and then you specialized later on? Um, I guess law in general, uh, I had that one summer job for two and a half months at the firm that didn't, you know, the firm that dissolved and it was all in medical malpractice, but I didn't have any medical background. It was the litigation that you sort of figure it out and your clients and your experts teach you the medicine. But there are, in medical malpractice, there are a number of um, particularly women who were nurses and then went to law school. And they have a little bit of an edge when it comes to the medicine, but generally not when it comes to lawyering. They're not as good lawyers because it's not their original forte. So, I mean, do you still work in medical malpractice because the medicine's interesting and um, generally the law is good as well? Or is it just because you've done it for a long time and you're used to it? Um. It's a really good question, and I would say it's a combination. But I, but I wouldn't have stayed in medical malpractice if I didn't like it, if I wasn't constantly intrigued by it. How easy is it to switch the type of law you work in? At this stage, impossible. Okay. You know, after twenty plus years of practice, but in your first, you know, handful of years, easy. Especially if you're at a firm like mine. For example, there's a woman 
who works for one of my partners and I, I'm her mentor. We have a mentoring program. She does general liability cases and labor law. Labor law is when somebody is um, hired on a construction site and gets injured. Um, and there's strict liability for that. That means if they get injured, the, you you win. You just have to prove the injuries and how much they're worth. So she's not that excited about that kind of work. And she wants to do like intellectual property, which is patents and trademarks. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have a division uh, where that work is done. So she's interviewing with them now. She's really good. We all really like her. And we'd rather her stay in the firm and be happy than leave and go somewhere, you know. So she's exploring that opportunity now. But that works at a big firm like mine. But other people just have to leave. There's a lot of movement, especially in the first 10 years. A lot of movement. There are people even in medical malpractice. Um, they've all worked. There's like, you know, I don't know, in the defense world, a dozen to 20 med, like solid med mal defense firms. And people move among them all the time. And it's usually for money. Like the changes are either because they hate who they work with or they're looking for another five grand, which isn't a lot of money to make a big move for a job. But when you're, you know, 26, 27, that's a lot of money. So people will do that. So it's like, it's a real person-to-person workplace. You're with other people a lot and you have to interact a lot. Oh, yeah. So you're, it's not like in front of a computer doing work for hours. It's more it's more interaction with other people. You prim- So you, if as an associate, like, a, you know, that's how you start out as your associate attorney. Um, you report to a senior attorney who's usually a partner. So if you don't have a good relationship with that partner or if that partner is a jerk, which many are, um, you're not going to be happy. So, and, but you do spend time in front of the computer. We do a lot of medical record review and writing reports, but we're in court a lot and doing depositions a lot. So it's a good balance. Like I'm never in the same place, you know, more than two days in a row. Never. So at your position, is it easy to, or not necessarily at your position, maybe a little bit lower. Is it easy to switch firms? Um, as it, if, if you're a partner, um, and so the problem gets when you get too senior and you're a partner, but you don't have your own book of business, you're not going to get hired somewhere else because you're not going to make, they're not going to pay you what you're making probably unless you have business to bring over. So that's just becomes a marketability analysis. You know, like if I left my firm and went to another firm, I'd be bringing my book of business and they would probably pay me more just to get the book of business. But a six-year associate, you know, they're just going because they don't like it and they want another five or $10,000 somewhere else. And that could, they could easily do that in the same field. There's a lot of movement there. And it's not uncommon even on the other side, in the plaintiff side or on the insurance company side. I have clients, people I know and who I deal with in the insurance companies. Since I've been doing this, they've been at three or four different insurance companies. You know, and, and they're like, oh, you're there now. Great. You know, it's not uncommon. But I think there's movement. In, I mean, your dad, since I've known you guys, he's had three or four different jobs, right? And your mom, too. Um, how long were you in school? Three years. Law school is three years. Okay. I went full-time three years. When did you start getting interested in law? Was it in high school? Always, yeah, I mean, probably before. What What qualifies you to get into law school in high school? Um, well, you have to go to college. So it's it's your 
GPA and your law school entrance examination grade, and then the other stuff, like the extracurricular stuff that's so important to get into college is less important to get into grad school. Um, it's more the grades in your extracurricular. And then you sort of weigh your choices, like, with you know, who's going to give you money and stuff. So before law school, what did you study? Um, I wanted to do law, but they didn't have a pre-law program at my college. Um, I was a psychology major with a criminal justice minor. Okay, so that obviously helped when you got into law. Um, I, I guess, yeah, I guess, because I always wanted to be a criminal lawyer. How often does a college have a pre-law program? I have no idea now. Right now, I can't tell you that. Is it is it something that's does it give you an, like a strong advantage if you were to go take a pre law program versus just like studying psychology, criminal justice? Well, it depends on what kind of law you're interested in. I'm now, given what I know, I'm a firm believer in you need a good business foundation to do anything. I regret never taking a business course in college. That was. I don't want to say it was a mistake. It was never advice that I got. No matter what you do in your in your life, you need to have some basic understanding about business and the economy. So I think a lot of people I know who are lawyers or became corporate lawyers were primarily business majors and then went to law school and focused on that angle. So if you want to be a criminal lawyer, you want to take more sort of criminal justice classes, human rights classes, sociology um, psychology was just really, I, I'd also wanted to be a psychologist at one point. So I think that was the fallback, easier way for me to go. But business, um, and in law school, I took a ton of criminal courses. Um, I loved that. I loved federal civil rights action. I took a class on that. It was really cool. This is really interesting. Um, kind of wrapping up, what, what do you especially, not especially, what do you dislike about the clients. Okay. We said we have a joke that this job would be great if it wasn't for the clients. You know, so the irony in that is obviously you can't. But because the industry has changed um, and the auditing that comes with the insurance companies who are paying our bill, it's I spend a few hours a week managing the billing um, and collecting the money, which. Part of it's on the insurance company side, which is frustrating. The other part is I'm in a big law firm, um, and there's a significant amount of pressure on us to collect. Like, I'm a lawyer. I shouldn't be calling my clients to pay their bills. We should have people to do that, but my firm has a different philosophy, so that's frustrating. Um, and then there's a lot of competition okay. within the firm, even. And then, I mean, you've kind of gone over this, but why, like, what do you like about, about where you work? Where I work or what I do? <laughs> it's a different question. What you do. Okay. So I said before that I think the um, the medicine is intriguing. It's constantly learning. Um, I'm proud to say that I defend you know medical professionals. I think that's um, pretty cool. Um, but the litigation side of it, I think I have those skills, and um, I like convincing people why I think I'm right, or at least why I think they should believe my client. And I like arguing, debating those things. Um, this you know level of satisfaction in 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 doing that and you know even trying a case it is probably the most difficult thing to do 
and if you lose, it's so heartbreaking. But if you lose, even though you did the best as you can, and that's just the way the cards were dealt, the facts are the facts. You know, you accept it. It's cool. Um, regarding the scientific aspect, is this something that like all of the medical knowledge that you gain? Is that all that like you're learning on the job from the people that you work with, or is there anything that you're seeing like, in school? No, it's all on the job and the uh, internet, which wasn't available my first ten years of practice. Your client tells you something, you go Google it, figure out what it is. Yeah, if, if it's something new, like you know, most of the cases these days, I'd say seventy five percent, I've had that case before. I know what what the hospital should do when some forty five year old man goes in complaining of chest pain. I know the workup that's supposed to be done. You know, someone, you know, may have breast cancer. We've had a ton of those cases. But there are nuances. And, um, you know, the, the Internet has made it certainly easier because you can find a lot of what we do. It's not just finding a medical expert. You can hire who would be willing to testify. Is, is, does the medical literature support what they're coming up with? Because if they're pulling it out of thin air and the medical literature says the opposite, then they can't testify. You can get them precluded. So that's all about us now. That brings us to the end of this episode of And Beyond. Thank you to Miss Assemblies for being on the episode and helping give really detailed answers to my questions. I hope that you can take away a proper understanding of law as it pertains to the medical field. I found that I had a completely misconstrued view of law as a whole going in. Thanks again to Miss Assemblies and to everyone for listening. If you have any comments, head to my website, www.andbeyond.how where you can find a comment section, other detailed notes regarding the interviews, iTunes links, and a link to my album reviews. They're on Medium. Feel free to check them out and tell me what you think. This is andbeyond.how. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check back for the next episode.